and welcome to A Problem Squared, a podcast where myself, Beck Hill, and mathematician Matt Parker will endeavour to solve your problems. Is that right, Matt? Great. Great introduction. Straight into it. Yeah, straight into it. How's about that? No laboured analogy or anything. You've just slammed into the podcast as nothing. No chit chat. (laughs) Here it is. This is what you're listening to. Strap in. Coming up in this episode, we look at ways to keep cool in your home office. I've calculated the value of the world's biggest macadamia nut. What should you do with your spare room? Why are there no zero keys on a typewriter? And a few more updates for pre-existing problems. Stay tuned. Okay, Beck, we are in uh, episode 010. I can see you're coming to us live from your recording cupboard. Yes. What's 010 in binary? Well, well, it's not very exciting. It's two. Hey, episode two for robots. Yeah. You're right. Or episode 10 for my people. There you are. Exactly. So last time we spoke, I went up to Scotland for my mother-in-law's 80th birthday. Um, And because we were really shielding the entire time because we didn't want to obviously make anyone sick while we're up there. Um, So this is like the first sort of proper socializing people I've been around for like the last four or five months or whatever it is. So it was it was strange. My nieces were there, too. And I got to see them and I I took my Oculus up, my Oculus Quest up yep. so that I could show my mother-in-law like a safari thing because she's always wanted to go like on safari, but you know, she's, it's definitely not possible right now. So I did that and she loved that. And then I put my niece on a thing called Richie's Plank Adventure, <laughs> which is where I think it's called that. It's basically where uh, it puts you in a lift and then uh, the doors open and you're at the top of a building and there's a plank that you have to walk to the end of and you can fall off it. Oh, wow. And um, I forgot how scary it is if you've never used an Oculus before. (laughs) And um, I made my eight-year-old niece cry uh, twice. Wow, you went from the cool aunt to the terrifying aunt. Yeah, yeah. Put her on it. She burst into tears uh, when she fell off the plank because it is actually very scary. Managed to make her feel better by making her parents do it. So that was fun. Damage control. Then she said, is there anything that I can do that isn't the plank? And I thought she meant in that game. And I was like, yeah, there's a there's a one where you can fly <laughs> around the city with a jetpack. There's like higher and more dangerous things. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, because if she flies around, then she's not like falling and it's a lot less scary. So I gave her the little jetpack arms. But I forgot that you have to press down the triggers, otherwise the jets don't work. Oh my goodness. And so I basically put her put her back in the headset <laughs> and she just stepped off the edge of a building and fell I off again. Love it. <laughs> just burst into tears again. I was like, I am an awful, awful person. I can give you these placebo jetpack arms and off you go. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely awful. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what I've been up to since I last saw you. Wow. Terrorizing young children. <laughs> what about you? I've noticed, I've noticed you've put up a video. Yes, I finally did it. So, 
For people who have listened to the previous two episodes, I promised I would put a video out with more details about a problem where does the terrain of a country change how you measure its land area? And every time I'm like, surely I'll get this out before the podcast goes live. And I missed my own self-imposed deadline yet again. (laughs) But then I figured the next kind of unofficial deadline was when we record this episode. And so, mm. as you noticed, it went online like two days ago. Yeah. I hope you could see, like, the scope of the video. I think it's the best way. Like, the scale. Why I kept getting more and more distracted and obsessed with making bits of it better. And I probably yeah. should have drawn a line under it a lot sooner. But it finally exists. Oh, it's so good. I ended up showing it to, to like, sending it to some friends and stuff. It is so epic and beautiful. And that theme as well, um, the orchestral version of your theme is so nice. Um, and I don't know who you got for the Geoscience Australia voice, but they sound really sexy. They were um, on point. I hope they get way more voice work. <laughs> <laughs> but then 12 hours later, I released a second video, which I'd foolishly committed to another deadline on. I've got to stop giving myself deadlines for videos. Oh, they'll never get done otherwise. I know, they really wouldn't. But technically on the same day. So I, I uploaded the land area video. I then sat down, researched, wrote, film, animated, edited, and released another video in just under 12 hours, which was a new personal best. Wow. And if people watch it, they can see there's several points where I got a bit bored doing the editing or the animating. And it's a little, little I cut a few corners, but it works. And that was a project I'm doing with a YouTube friend of mine, a guy called James Grime, on what people's favorite numbers are, which are bigger than a million. We're calling Mm -hmm. it the Mega Favorite Number Project. And we just wanted to do something where all different YouTubers made mathematical videos about the same thing and released them on the same day, just. And then we have a playlist where anyone can now record a video about their mega favorite number and we will add it to the list. So it's a mix of people who have never made a video before and the biggest mathematical YouTubers uh, all in together. It's great. It's good. But I was wondering back, I think, did I message you and asked what your mega favorite, like, have you, have you got a favorite number? I've never even asked you if you've got a favorite number or you got a favorite number bigger than a million. You know what I want to say? Mm-hmm. 69 million. Oh my goodness. Because that's the funniest millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is why we had this campaign, right? To raise awareness of big numbers and they make perfectly good favorite numbers. You don't have to abandon your small favorite number. You can also have a mega favorite number. So if anyone's ever been tempted or thought about making a YouTube video about mathematics, if in the next couple of weeks you can make one about a number bigger than a million, we'll add it to the playlist. Our first problem is sent in by one of our Patreon supporters, thank you very much, named John. They must be in the Northern Hemisphere, which is currently summer, because their problem is, they put here, um, well, they've opened straight into it, they just start keeping cool in the non-air-conditioned home office. I mean, that's their problem in a nutshell. They follow it Mm. on with, when opening a window seems to let more heat in than cooling breezes, what's the best way to keep cool whilst working at home? Um, Beck, I I think, I I believe Ah. you've cracked this. 
Yeah. Well, I think actually we're both in a pretty good position as uh, Aussies because I think we learn mm-hmm. those little hacks quite early on. Like one thing, and this is my first piece of advice for John, um, is on a hot when you know it's going to be a hot day, make sure you keep your curtains closed because that will limit the amount of heat that comes in like a glass house. That drove my wife, Lucy, who's British, up the wall. The first time she visited Australia, she's like, why is everyone keeping their curtains closed? There's all this glorious daylight and sunshine (laughs) out there. And we're like, yeah, which is going to roast the house. So I do it here as well. I will habitually keep the curtains closed to keep the heat out. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept doing it and Gav couldn't work out why. And I'll be honest, I did it more out of habit than realizing why I was doing something. And it wasn't until Gav realized it was, he was the one who went, oh, it's a lot cooler when the, when the curtains are shut. And, and there was part of my brain that was like, yeah, duh. But of, of course, it's just never, you know, it's never been a thing. So um, yeah, I was, I was quite surprised how many people didn't realize that that is such a simple hack. So that's my first one. My first piece of advice is um, curtains closed. Good hack. I mean, really obvious one is buy yourself a fan or an air conditioner. <laughs> like that would immediately <laughs> solve the problem. I feel like it's implied that's not an option. Yeah, yeah. Um, One thing, if you don't have an air conditioner, but you do have a fan, which sort of works, is a bowl of ice with the fan um, blowing the, the air just off the top of it. Um, it will slightly, slightly cool the room. Not hugely but if if you're desperate it will be cooler than the hot air from outside and another hack which is again it's best if you've got a fan but is my I've done this on hot nights when you can't sleep but I imagine it works um, in an office scenario as well is um, cold towel so run a towel under cold water um, drain it out so it's not properly dripping Um, and if you drape that over yourself um, with a fan, that will cool you down and keep you cool for quite a while. Probably to the point that you'll want to take it off for a bit because you'll get too cold. But um, yeah, I've done that. I, To be fair, um, the reason I've done that mostly rather than just hot weather is usually when I'm incredibly hungover and I get hot and sweaty at night. And so I will drape a wet towel over me and then go back to sleep. We have a collection of just like uh, flannels that we soak in cold water and then put on our like foreheads or faces in bed yes yeah yeah. oh that works a treat oh my goodness so nice you do that thing where you hold it by the corners and you sort of like whip it around in the air so that so it gets Uh, yeah and there's like a weighted eye mask but it's cool that's that's living yeah i mean you're either too hot or hungover for this scenario to have been a problem but in both those cases (laughs) it works a treat yeah so yeah those are that's that's my uh problem solving for john I've got one more tip and that is, you know how when you wash yourself with like minty shower gel, it tingles? Yep. Just um, just do that. Just do that? <laughs> just cover yourself in Listerine. There you go. That'll make you feel better. Hope that helps, John. I'm prepared to say, ding, I think you've done it. I'm, I'm on behalf of John. I think you've, you've solved that problem. Ding. <laughs> this next problem comes from listener Tristan on Twitter. Now, it's a bit of a backstory here. Matt, because yeah. as you may remember, a few episodes ago, we talked about big things in Australia and we decided that the Big Macadamia Nut was the technically funniest big thing based on how big it is compared to the scale yeah. on how what it is in real life. And um, Tristan on, on Twitter, um, in fact, we'll link to this in the show notes as well, 
went and visited the big macadamia nut for us, Amazing. especially like did an actual detour and uh, uh, and filmed it, which was fantastic, but also came up with a brand new problem for us. Tristan would like to know what the value of the big macadamia nut would be monetarily if it was an actual nut. It's an interesting question. If it was a real macadamia nut, what would it be worth? Thankfully, I mean, Tristan was couldn't have been in a better place to have gotten the important information than a place themed around macadamia nuts. So they had the question and they had the information we needed. And I don't feel like we have an option to not solve this problem, given Tristan went out of their way to visit a big thing for us. I think at that point, you kind of get one problem free. Oh, heck yeah. 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 We can't be like, thanks for diverting your vacation to visit a ridiculous thing and take a photo for us. <laughs> oh, you've got a problem. Well, sucks to be you because we've moved on, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so Tristan, you got us. I mean, thank you for not requesting anything too ridiculous. Just the value of a building that looks a bit like a macadamia nut. Were it a macadamia nut, I'm quite happy with. So, uh, from last time, to recap, we decided that if your sole metric for how hilarious a big thing is, is how big the scale factor is, this macadamia nut was 640 times bigger than a standard issue macadamia nut because the building is 16 meters and a normal macadamia nut it seems, on average, is about two and a half centimeters. However, that doesn't mean mm. the big one would just be worth 640 times as much. Because people will know, I love talking about scale factors. Mm. We went through this when we were building a statue out of pennies. If you scale something, the surface area goes up by the square, the volume goes up by the cube. So if you had a giant macadamia nut which is 640 times bigger. If you want to cut through it, you have to cut 640 times as far. If you want to paint it or coat it in chocolate, it's the square of that. The area is just over 400,000 times bigger, whereas its volume is just over 262 million times bigger. So it may be 640 Oof. times bigger than a normal one, but if you wanted to fill it with macadamia nuts with no gaps, you'd need 242,144,000 of them. Very thankfully, Tristan gave us the value of nut in shell is between four and five Aussie dollars per kilo. I've averaged that to be four and a half dollars a kilo. Multiplied it all through, that macadamia nut would be worth 11 million. 796,480 Australian dollars, which you could probably just say is about $12 million. For our non-Australian listeners, that is about six and a half million British pounds. If you're in the US, it's just over eight and a half million dollars and it's roughly 7 million euros. That's a lot. Yeah, that's an expensive nut. Yeah, it's worth more than a nut is a, than a building. I think the building would cost less than $12 million. And I have to ask... Because that was nut in shell value. Nut in shell. Just to confirm that if we're making that nut the size of the big macadamia nut, we don't get like a change in the amount of shell to nut ratio, do we? I have assumed it all scales equally. Tristan also mm -hmm. found out that roughly a third of the mass is edible 
and I've assumed the thickness of the shell gets thicker as well. It would be a very different game if mm-hmm. the shell stayed the same thickness because it'd be a super thin oh, shell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've just gone with, you're right. That'd be madness. It's, it's, it's a good question. That Yeah, I, I assumed everything scales perfectly. In reality, that may not be the case. Were there some tree that had evolved to have nuts at that scale, it probably wouldn't be the same proportions because of all these weird scaling factors. Mm. as a small nut it's like insects have very different um you know body geometry and proportions compared to something about a human size compared to something uh you know a, a elephant or whale size because things and forces scale differently so i'm assuming this is just a magical nut that's been increased in size by 640 times it's not a tree has evolved a way to grow nuts that big but excellent, excellent. I didn't even occur to me, to be honest. That's a great point. How much is a third of what our giant nut is now? So... Like how much of our giant nut can we eat? How many kilos of giant nut can we eat? I assumed that a normal macadamia nut is about 10 grams or 0.01 kilograms, uh-huh. which means the giant macadamia nut is just over 2,621 tons of nut in shell. Whoa! Yeah. You would have 865 tons of edible macadamia nut. So no wonder it's worth 12 million. <gasps> That's so it's, much it's nut. 865 tons of the stuff. Yeah. It's literally tons. I think that's a ding. But it's up to you, Tristan. This It's your problem. And I think you went to the effort of going to the big macadamia nut. So uh, please let us know if it's a ding. Mike, one of our Patreon supporters, has written in with a problem. They open with, hey, Beck and Matt. Very nice. Dash. I'm moving into a new house soon, and I have this problem that I need solving. This house has one additional room that I don't need. Show off. I've added that. That's (laughs) optional. Um, Open brackets. An entirely new issue for someone who's lived in high cost of living cities, Sydney and London, for their whole life. Close brackets, full stop. What should I do with this spare room? I mean, there's a problem we're envious of. It's interesting how uh, punctuation is really helpful when you're reading out something, isn't it, Matt? I find it gets in the way, if anything. I've got to keep stopping and reading it out. <laughs> and saying the punctuation out loud. Yeah, it really slows the whole process down. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very excited about this problem. First of all, because when I was reading it, Initially, I thought Mike was saying that they had an additional room, like a like a secret room, somewhere to you stay. Know? Like, <laughs> no, like like as in they they pulled a book on their bookshelf and it spun around. Oh, like a bookcase or something. Yeah, like... and they're like oh, an additional room. Um, but I think those ones you do need. So I don't think Mike would have followed up with one I don't need if uh, if it was a awesome surprise room. Which brings me to some of my suggestions, which is turn it into a surprise room. Um, I think. Perfect. Straight off the bat. So these are things that I've been thinking about. If I was ever to move out of London and get a bigger place, what would I do <sighs> with other rooms? Um, so I think the first thing I would do is build a bookcase door at least. So if it, uh, at first it would look like just a bookcase in your hall or something, or I would at least disguise the door so it looks like the rest of the hall or whatever. It, yeah, the wall. 
And then that way you can have a secret room. Great idea. And then obviously that's where you keep all your secrets because secret room. So um, put your things in there. Anything you've got secrets, you know, bodies, whatever. Um, also, uh, I'm obsessed with, and you could put this in your secret room or you could, you know, if you leave it as a normal room, I'm obsessed with the idea of getting a Murphy bed, which is the fold down bed from the wall. Yeah. You can get some really good ones. If you, if you look up Murphy bed online, you can get some where they're like desks where they just look like a normal desk. And then when you pull it down, the desk actually stays horizontal. So you can keep your things on it, but it just sits under the bed. Folds underneath. Amazing. Now, I hate to point this out, Beck, but you're thinking very much like someone who lives in a tiny apartment in London, not someone who's got separate rooms available True. for a bed and a desk to be adjacent rather than on top of each other. That's true. Because actually, the one time in my life, I seriously considered getting a Murphy bed, but I looked at, could I buy a bed from Ikea that could be hacked into a Murphy bed, which probably wasn't the best idea was when I was living in London and I was renting a room in a place and I'm like, man, I wish I could use this room for more than one thing. Yeah. But uh, Mike here, Mike here's got rooms for days. That's Mike's problem. That's true. Too many rooms. Too many rooms. Well, because I was thinking more along the lines of if you've got too many rooms, then obviously at least one of them, depending on how many rooms are there, is a guest room, which is... Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's already made out to be a guest room, which means that the other one is your the room that you can do other stuff in, but can convert into an extra guest room should you decide to host a family event or some such. Yes. In fact, I would like to partially roll back my criticism because when we've got a spare room, Lucy and I, it's always something and a guest room. Yeah. Because whatever you turn that room into, it also has to be repurposed as a guest room, depending on how many people. And in fact, we're recording right now. and You can see there's like a bluish gray rectangle there. That's yep. the mattress I pushed up against the wall because this place is my study studio. You've basically made a terrible Murphy bed. I've made a Murphy bed um, and emergency <laughs> guest room. Also... You know, you could turn it into a guest room for either Matt or I. We can come and visit. I think that's a definite option. Yep. That's a given. Next time we're on tour, we are super cheap. So we're in. The other reason that I think that I'm qualified to solve this problem is because during lockdown, I've become addicted to the mobile game Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, which is the free mobile version of the one that everyone's playing on Nintendo Switch, which I I don't know how different right. it is to that. Because I don't play that. I don't play um, either, so I got I got nothing. So all you need to know is that in this game, mm -hmm. you're a little person. You can make your little your little 3D person who you are. Right. And in the game, there's lots of little animal people, and you manage a campsite, and it's a bit like Sims. Okay. You can like kit out the campsite with all right. furniture and things like that. And if the animals, if the little animal friends like that furniture because of their, you know, personalities, you know, if it's a cute animal, they're probably going to like cute furniture, then, you know, they're going to visit your campsite more often. Oh, that's good. Okay. So it's a game. So you can link your emotional well-being with the whimsy and taste of artificial intelligence, tiny animals. Yeah. If you want to put it that way. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so there's all these little spaces that you have to like 
you know, kit out with different types of furniture and everything. And some animals are like really themed in what they like. So there's one animal that really likes polka dot stuff. So you want to like put loads of polka dot stuff in the campsite for them. So like a polka dot couch and a polka dot rug and a polka dot, you know, I don't know, coffee table. <laughs> I mean, I don't believe it, but I think you're moving towards some practical advice out of knowing which animal likes polka dots, right? Yeah. So I think Mike just needs to become like the something person. So Mike becomes oh the polka dot person or the aquarium person or the skateboard person, right? And as soon as you go for a really solid theme, then that room you just fill it with all that stuff. If you're the if you're the fish guy, then just make yeah. that the room that all the fish are in. And then when people come around and they're like, what's in that room? You'd be like, that's a fish room. And then they'll look in and be like, fish room. oh, it is. There's loads of fish in here. In aquariums or just on the floor. So you're saying Mike's just going to get a hobby. Yeah. That requires a room. Yeah. Well, I mean, recently I've, be- I've become a bike guy, which, you know, yeah. fills my every waking moment talking about and riding bicycles. Mm. And a room in which to put bikes and bike-related paraphernalia, both myself and my relentlessly supportive wife, Lucy, would appreciate that in our lives. Yeah. Bingo. It's currently, I'm, you know, I'm squatting on other non-bike land with my bike stuff at the moment, and it, it, it needs to go. If you had an unneeded room, would you, is that, would that be your thing then? Would you make it a bike room? You know, actually, I would love to, but I think I would find other uses for the room above bike room. Mm-hmm. I feel like a some kind of art creative space for Lucy is probably the next Aww. next required room up. That's nice. See, there you go, Mike. That's the other solution. Find someone else who needs a room and then tailor it to them. So your solution is either get some kind of hobby that's very space intensive, requires room to put things, or befriend someone else who does. Yeah, well, you don't have to befriend them. I'm sure Mike knows other people already. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He may already have such a person off the shelf. Yeah. But that's, I'm saying that's, that's where you're going. Yeah. Okay. Right. So find either you or someone with a passion that needs a room or secret room. Yeah. Or all three. I mean, I, I think that's pretty comprehensive. I, th- I think that's good. Cool. Should Mike report back with what they do with their room? And then we, uh, then we decide if we're going to ding this one. Yes. Yeah, Mike, we want to see what you do. If you put a secret bookcase door, we'd love to see that. Or indeed, any other secret way of entering it. Oof. If anyone has a secret bookcase door. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Actually, yeah. Let's just open that up. If you have a secret room, we want to see it. Well, we won't tell anyone. We swear. Oh, and we're on social media. at oh. Problem squared. Do it that. Send it to us like that. <laughs> You may have heard us talk about this on a previous episode, but we got into a conversation a while back about how 007 is called 007 and not 007, which uh, annoyed you greatly, Matt. Well, I'm adamant I say zero whenever it's a zero. Yes. Without exception. Phone numbers, years, you name it. Exactly. You're very, very strict to that. And then a listener tweeted us to say that... It is actually written as 007. It's not 007. It's it, in the books. It is 007. I was outraged. And you, you were furious. You were furious. Not only I the was... idea of not saying zero instead of O, but also 
physically typing O instead of zero, you were... Who is Fleming I mean, that thinks they can were, choose how numbers work? Honestly. Ah, you've ripped your shirt off. I mean, no one could see it, but you're like the Hulk. You stormed out. You you walked through your wall and left a mat-shaped hole in there. It was... I've, I've never seen you so mad. I had to cover it with a bookcase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we... Uh, we d- talked about that, and then we had another listener tweet us at a problem squared, and they pointed out that um, potentially it was because back in the day, typewriters did not have a zero, which meant that when you were writing on a typewriter, you had to use an O, which might explain yeah. why it's branded as 007 in the books. And Matt, we talked about this. You said, I've got typewriters. I'll take a look at them, uh, and I'm interested to see what what you found. Right. So, first things first, I've got two typewriters with me, mm-hmm. which is all I own at the moment. I've tried to ration how many typewriters I have on a go at once. So, I'm just going to grab uh, the first one here. This is a more of a modern one. It's a Boots PT400, made in Japan. There you are. Ooh. And it has got a zero key separate to the O. However, we're going to we'll, we'll regroup around to this one in a second. Well, cuz I was going to say cuz the original James Bond was written much what the one you were showing just then to me looks like it was yeah, about the 80s or something. But James Bond is much older than that. Yeah, just after the Second World War, 50-60s, which is why mm. bam, Remington. Oh, that's an old typewriter. Yeah, this is this is it, right? And this one, uh the typewriter has got a zero. So There you are. So both, this is kind of a contemporary one, the kind of thing that Fleming might have been using, and your kind of 80s semi-modern equivalent both have a zero. However, I wasn't that surprised because I've been using typewriters on and off for a long time. I got into them when I was at university when I discovered how cheap they were in secondhand like charity op shops. Mm. And I did once lug one into a lecture theatre because I was at university right when... Oh my gosh, you're that guy. I'm that guy. You set up a typewriter in a lecture. Yeah, absolutely. Because one person had a laptop and they took it everywhere and they were super smug. And this is back in the day where everyone was like, oh, look at the guy with a laptop money bags over there and so i i then sat in the same lecture and brought a typewriter and it was like it was like a second year civil engineering i can remember it accurately i was like okay hang on let me get this down let me go the main and then i was off and racing right and then i only got one line done because obviously everyone's like who is this idiot yeah and i was like oops sorry and so i had one page of notes where the top line was typed and then the rest was handwritten which is what we used to do in the past. <laughs> Can I just say that out there, there yep. are definitely people who are like, you're the story that they tell over dinner parties about... That guy with the typewriter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of fun at university. I was a little reluctant when my career skewed towards being a university lecturer myself because I was like, there's a lot of karma out there waiting yeah, yeah. To, to, to balance out. You'll get your map Parker. Uh, exactly. Um, but there are other stories for... Uh, I once got pizza delivered to a lecture theatre. Good times. Okay, so the um, I knew from being into typewriters during my wasted youth that they don't have all the characters you expect. They do have a zero and an O because they are fundamentally different things. However, they don't have a one. 
What? So both typewriters I just showed you know one. You're supposed to use the L. See, I would understand it if it was like the capital I or even a lowercase I because of Roman numerals. Yeah. But an L. Nah. No, an L looks a lot more like a one than you expect. So actually, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scroll up on this bit of paper. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a lowercase L mm-hmm. followed by a two, three, four, five. A couple spaces. Give you a capital I. Followed by a two, three, four, five. I've, I've never felt more like I'm a boss in an old thing where I'm like, give me a paper's on my desk at four o'clock. I want this typed up and on my desk. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that on the cam. Uh, I want listeners to know that from showing it on the webcam, they look exactly the same. They look wildly different. Also, I'm not wearing my glasses. This was a terrible idea, Matt. Put them online. We'll decide later. I did not think this through. <laughs> so I was aware that typewriters, I guess, just historically have been as efficient as possible for the keys they give you. And I did look up the patent for like the first proper commercial successful typewriter. And I've got that to show you uh, here. This, oh, this is the original patent. There's the keyboard and you can see oh, yeah. no one and no zero. Yeah. So, oh, that was uh, Christopher Latham Scholes. Christopher Latham Scholes, who invented the QWERTY keyboard. Yeah, yeah. There you go. This is this is the patent from eighteen seventy eight. See his name. I've got a joke about him, Matt. Really? Which is um, that his pickup line is, um, "Hey, baby, if I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together." Oh, look at that! I did. <laughs> solid, solid joke. It's an actual pickup line that people use, but also applies to keyboard. It's, it's accurate for the QWERTY keyboard, yeah. I'm real proud. Yeah, so I'm looking, and you're right. There is no one. No one. No zero. Yeah, you're right. Use an O. Also, no exclamation mark. Oh, yeah. How did people yell in the old days? You put a apostrophe over a full stop. So you do you do like the full stop first, then you click back a spot, and then slap an apostrophe on it. So you can combine the other keys to fill in symbols you haven't got. I love the fact the shift key physically shifts the entire mechanism up so you get the other part of the the stampy bit. I don't know the terminology, which I think is just amazing. And caps lock locks it in place. It's, ah, technology. Yeah, that's where they get their names. It's not the other way around, Matt. I know. They didn't make it do that because it was called that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but that's why everyone everyone thinks shift, but I guess I guess the symbols are on the key and you're shifting up. But I love the fact that we call it shift because it Still. used to shift a whole mechanism. I think that's great. Oh, it's like it's like how on word the save button is is a floppy disk, which no one today has ever used to save. And on a on a uh, a phone, like the pickup thing is like a picture of an old school handset. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love how if you want to exclaim something excitedly, you have to be, do the fiddly thing. Several steps. Like think about when you type something and you're like, ah! but like if you do, if you were to do that, then you'd be like, and I'm very angry with you. Ah! And then backspace. And- I think that's great. People get emotional and yell too easily these days. If it took a bit more labor to exclaim, people might think it through before they start yelling at each other. I think you're right. Via telegram. But I figure there's more efficiencies to be had here. So why have a T key when you can do an L and then go back and put a hyphen on it? I mean, that would work. 
You probably don't need... What else can we get rid of here? Do you, do you need an 8 if you can go back onto a 9 and put a lowercase o on top of it? So I feel like they've gone for some efficiencies. Go for leet. Yeah. You know, get rid of the... Uh, get rid of the Z. Use a 2. Uh, use a 3 instead of an E. Yep. Yeah. 7 instead of a T. There you go. Great. So I love the fact you can combine the keys they give you to make extra symbols. Because obviously the, the, like, the more you can reduce the set, as long as it's functional, the more efficient mm -hmm. the mechanism, the cheaper the product. What's really interesting is if you look all the way on the left, second row from the bottom, there's a key which has three vertical dots. Yes, I noticed that. It's like a, um ellipsis on its side. Yeah. And I saw that. I was like, what is, what is that? Like... Why was that a vital key to have in the late 1870s? I looked it up online. People have got some theories. No one knows. No one knows what that, <gasps> what that key was for. And people mm. have found evidence that it was used. So people who did like a thing where they pushed every single key at the top of a letter or something to show off the, the typewriter can do. Maybe it's, to, maybe it's to display more. You, ticket, you get to see your settings. Yeah, share dot, dot, options. Dot. Yeah. Yeah. If someone else is replying to your letter, that one just goes yeah. down so you know they're typing. <laughs> but no, but it's yeah. not like it, people people were like, maybe it's like a carriage return or a shift or something else. But no, it was a actual printing thing. It, it would put that symbol on the page. But it mm, was only yeah. in the very first model of typewriter and then never again. It was replaced oh, with a forward slash. Christopher, what secrets were you hiding from us? Yeah. You can put I next to you, but he also put A next to three mysterious vertical dots. Mm. We've actually talked about this in real life before, Matt, just talking about ellipses, because I was saying how I had always said if I ever had a kid, um, I would call them ellipsis um, yep. uh, so that they could have the nickname Dot. Because it's short for dot, dot, dot. It's very good. Which I actually ended up naming a show after that because what are shows if not my babies? Um, but then you told me that you'd had a similar plan. Yeah. Name a kid Ampersand. Because then you call them Andy for short. Come on. I love that. Little Ampersand. Come on. Somewhere in a parallel universe, Dot and Andy, Ampersand and Ellipsis are, are off on a play date. They're, they're each other's type. Hey! And on that note, James Bond is wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I've opened another problem. We don't know what that key is, but in conclusion to the actual problem here, possibly yes, Fleming used the O instead of a zero, but that's because that's what you're meant to do. It still represents a zero. Just because you hit that key doesn't mean we're gonna. It should be O. It's uh, makes me angry. It's now time for everyone's favourite part of any given meeting, any other business. Yay! And I, boy, oh boy, do I have any other business. Matt Parker. Yep. In the last episode, mm -hmm. um, we talked about um, how I'm the ambassador for the Crafts Council UK. And we sort of went off on a little tangent about the fact that um, in the 80s, I think it was, maybe 90s, there was a, a, a classic Frere Rocher ad where it was people at a fancy party and a stack of Ferrero Rocher being carried around by a butler and 
people are having it. It's a very, very cheesy ad. In fact, if you Google it, you should be able to find the clip yourself. And it's all about being an ambassador, which is why we were talking about chocolates. Exactly. Like the ambassador's reception. Yeah, it makes sense. And I asked yeah. how many Ferrero Rocher, could, like, could you guess how many Ferrero Rocher are in that little um, pyramid thing that he's carrying around? Yeah, I got very excited about calculating square-based pyramids. You were adamant that it's a square pyramid. I, okay, I was adamant. But I think I said if they don't do it that way, they're doing it wrong. So always yes. prepared to be wrong. You did say that, mm-hmm. which is such a sneaky way of saying if I'm wrong, it's because they're wrong. <laughs> that's that's, that's I, right. That's the truth. And so, yeah, we went back, reviewed the footage, and it is indeed a round. Oh, my goodness. Py- do you call it? I don't even know. Cone? It's a cone shape. I don't know. I don't want to sully the word pyramid on whatever that is. <laughs> It's more pleasing for me because they are circular treats. So I like them being uh, presented in a circular fashion. Uh, Circles are just the worst way to arrange things. And then they're still (laughs) like a, like they go to a point. It's still something pyramidy. It's like a cone. Mm. But Mm. I don't know. So I'm, I'm curious to know what is going on. A part of me thinks because it's a TV commercial, there was just like a big foam cone that they're all glued to but i'm open to the notion that they found some interesting way to stack their spherical chocolates and maybe that's interesting so if anyone have a look at the ad if you think you can help me mathematically describe the geometry of what's going on in the old ambassador reception for error share commercials matt at a problem squared.com or we're just at a problem squared on twitter and instagram everything else then let me know and i'll have a play and i'm gonna see if i can get to the bottom not now but it's going to be an ongoing project to solve the problem of how on earth they stack Ferrero shares and have we been lied to in the commercials matt mm-hmm. when you eat an ice cream yeah does it have to be out of a square pyramid? <laughs> Are you like, oh, Cornetto, you should be square. No, I'm fine with shape. But that that's a cone in its own right. Whereas if you've got to stack spheres, it's a shape made of other shapes. And then there are rules. So when it's shape on shape action, I get, I get, um, I get emotional. Hmm. And of course, we want to do a big shout out to everyone who came on board as Patreons, patrons, people who give us money. (laughs) Yeah, we've jumped up to 72. Oh, we're so close. Our target is 100. 100. After doing this for a year. Yeah, if we gain supporters in a linear fashion, we're pretty much dead on trend. So stay linear, people. Stay linear. (laughs) We also just want to say, um, obviously, right now, not everyone is in a position to give and we totally understand um we've all been in similar positions before um so i just want to say a massive thank you to the people who are giving who make it possible for us to make this for the people who can't give the reason that this is free and it's out there and there's no ads and everything is because of the kindness and generosity of our patreons and we really appreciate how generous that is of you thank you very much for gifting us to the world <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's how it works. That's a Mother's Day card, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Now, obviously, Beck hosts about a million different podcasts. I think, is it a million or have I miscounted? 69 million, Matt. That's that's the one. 
um, which you probably listen to all of them. I have, uh, I'm a two podcast kind of person. So I've got a new podcast with my festival, the spoken nerd frolics, friend, colleagues, Helen Arnie and Steve Mould. So we used to run a live show called an evening of necessary detail before live show stopped being a thing. Beck was a frequent performer on these nights in London. I love it. It's such a good show. I mean, I'm hugely biased, but I think it's great. So anyway, we've turned it into a podcast of unnecessary detail, <laughs> and we're going to be releasing over the next couple of months. We've got six episodes all locked and ready to go, where we basically talk about whatever nerdy things we're interested in, in an unnecessary level of detail. I would say it's necessary. Other people differ, but the first couple of episodes are out pretty much now. I think within a couple of days of this podcast. So if you need something else to listen to, I recommend either that or any of Beck's 69 million other podcasts. <laughs> Bye. Bye.